It's great to see everybody here on this wonderful Lord's Day that God's given to us. Uh, this is uh, a first Sunday of the month, so we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, but we'll do it at the end of the service this morning. So I thought I'd just let you all know that so you can be preparing your hearts along the way. And I pray that this message will prepare our hearts for that time of celebration together. If you're visiting here with us this morning, we're so glad uh, you came. We're glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, we're not in a specific series right now. We finished Philippians a few weeks ago, and uh, we're going to begin our next series, April 8th, after Easter, uh, the book of Nehemiah. So I'm just doing some one-time messages uh, this month. And this morning, I want to bring a, a message from a, a passage that's very personal for me. If you want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, we're going to look at this one verse, but we'll look at a lot of the context around it. Uh, but this verse of Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, was uh, really a lifeline to me about 10 years ago. It's a verse that really at that time in my life kind of seemed to save my life, if you will, and save my sanity. And I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But let me read this verse for us, 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered against each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Well, so reads uh, God's word. There's uh, a lot of milestones in our lives spiritually. I'm sure you all have some of those in your life, kind of times you look back on and remember. And, you know, the first one for me was my conversion. And I pray every one of us here can look back on a time in our life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And that's the, the most important spiritual milestone for any of us. Uh, that happened for me in 1965, um, the month before I turned six years of age. I listened to Billy Graham on television, and I recognized I needed Jesus as my Savior. And so I, I believed in Him and trusted in Jesus uh, to be my Savior from sin. Uh, the second kind of spiritual milestone I look back on was when I was 22 years of age in 1982. Um, I call this kind of my consecration um, it was uh, really the key verse was Romans 12, 1, present your body a living sacrifice to God. And really, for the first time in my life at that age, I, I gave everything in my life to the Lord. And my life's never been the same since that day. So I pray that every one of you can look back on at least two experiences like that. One is your conversion when you came to faith in Christ and hopefully some type of experience where you consecrated yourself wholly to the Lord. But there's a third experience that I hope none of you ever have that I had in my life when I was 39 years of age. I, I call this the confusion. And that is a time in my life when I went through something I, I'd never gone through before that or since then, but, but found God to be faithful in that experience. And that's why it's kind of a spiritual milestone for me. And the key verse for me during that time was 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, this verse I've just read. This is a very precious verse to me because it was my constant companion in the darkest time of my life. Now, I've not ever talked about this here at church. It's not because I didn't want to. I just never felt led to do it before. But I wanted to share about something that happened back in the early fall of 2008. Uh, one night I was trying to fall asleep in bed. It usually doesn't take me that long to go to sleep. I don't lay there a really long time. But I was praying and I was thinking about some very deep spiritual things. And suddenly, just out of nowhere, never happened to me before, it's never happened since, uh, something happened. A dark cloud just came and descended over my soul is the only way I can describe it. Just kind of a, a, a cloud of doom, really, that kind of came and began to hang over me. I, I got up that night and, and wandered around the house and had no idea what was happening. Uh, nothing like that had ever happened to me before. And for the next about 10 to 12 weeks, I endured almost unremitting despair and kind of hopelessness and just mental anguish. 
And if you've ever been there before, it's kind of indescribable. I know it's different, I'm sure, for every person. Uh, but it was a very, very difficult experience. I couldn't sleep. A nighttime was the worst. In fact, I just dreaded the, the sun going down every night because uh, the dark cloud would, would, would descend even more. It's interesting. The only time I experienced relief was when I was preaching here at church or teaching down at Dallas Seminary. I just wanted to kind of preach and teach all the time. This is kind of the only time I got relief. And I would get relief for a while and it would slowly creep back in again. And the only way I can describe it is like the uh, people used to describe this years ago as kind of the dark night of the soul. And nothing would help. And I reached out to, the only person I really reached out to was David Cotton. Um, he was my pastor my whole life growing up, and he was our pastor of senior adults here at, at the church at the time. And he had had a lot of experience in counseling, even had a, a degree in that. And so uh, I talked with him some about it, and uh, he prayed for me and was very caring and concerned, but uh, there was really nothing he could do to help me. And I never doubted the truth of the Bible. Um, I never doubted that God loved me. I just couldn't get out from underneath this just cloud of doom and despair and kind of hopelessness. And what's, what's weird about that time is I never felt farther from God in some ways during that time, but in other ways, I've never felt closer to God. It's kind of a strange paradox because there was just a moment by moment clinging to him because that's all I could do. And finally, about 10 or 12 weeks into this, I don't remember how long it lasted, but kind of 10 or 12 weeks in, in this pit, the fog began to lift. And it happened over a period of about three days, kind of slowly. And one day sitting at my desk here at church, I realized that this doom had disappeared. And I'll tell you what, I was the happiest guy in the world, I think, at that moment. But I was afraid if this has ever happened to you, boy, you're afraid this thing's going to come back. <laughs> And it never has come back, praise God. And I thank God for that. And I still thank God to this day for what he taught me during that time and uh, for his help and his strength. I still don't understand what happened and I don't understand why it happened. Now, some of you here may be experts in this and you can come up and give me a perfect diagnosis for what was wrong with me, but I don't know what it was. But I do know this, every day I clung to 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. It's the first verse that came to my mind during this time. God brought the verse to my mind. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That was my go-to verse, if you will, that I went over and over again in my mind. Some years later, I found out this was a great verse for George Mueller, uh, the great uh, British uh, uh, pastor and, and, and uh, teacher of God's Word who opened the orphanages there. He said, when nothing else will work, encourage yourself in the Lord. Be assured if you walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. And I found that to be true. God was faithful to me in the darkest hour of my life, and so that's why this is one of kind of the, the milestones in my life spiritually. And I still apply this verse whenever I get discouraged or downcast or other times in my life. And since this verse played such a pivotal role in my own life, I want to share it with you this morning. And my prayer is maybe this will resonate with someone here this morning. Maybe that's where you are, or, or maybe you'll end up there at some point in the future, and God will bring this uh, to your mind. Maybe you're at rock bottom and you're kind of discouraged and confused. Well, let's look at this passage together, and I want to look at two things. I want to kind of give the setting of this passage, kind of put this setting, put this passage in its setting, and then look at the strengthening that, that David received from the Lord. The setting of our passage goes back to chapter 27 and verse 1 in the book of 1 Samuel. Notice uh, 1 Samuel 27 verse 1 says, David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. This is the time in David's life. He's not king yet. Saul's still the king. 
and he's hunting and hounding David. You remember David's running around and hiding from Saul, and David is sick of it. He's sick and tired of running from Saul. So what David does is he panics, and he flees to the land of the Philistines. He doesn't seek the Lord, but he just goes out on his own and goes and lives among the Philistines. I think to me the irony of this is fascinating. In verse 2, it says, He went and lived with Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. Now think about that. Where was Goliath from? He was from Gath. David goes and lives among the same people where Goliath came from, the, the one he'd killed uh, many years before. So David panics and he flees and he takes 600, his 600 man army there with him and they bring all of their families there and they live there for a year and four months. Or they live there for, for 16 months. And David and his army live there, their families live there. In fact, Achish, one of the leaders there of the Philistines, gives David and, his, and their families a town to live in. David gave him, verse 6, Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. They lived there in the country of the Philistines a year and four months. So David ends up living among the enemy. He's playing for the opposing team, if you will. But again, they have their own city there. Now, go over to chapter 29 and verse 1, and uh, you can read this chapter. I hope you'll do it maybe this week at your leisure. But what happens is they're getting ready to go into battle. The Philistines are to fight against King Saul and his son Jonathan, who's David's friend. And David and his men are kind of trapped now, and they've got to go fight with the Philistines. But God in his providence, I believe, causes these Philistines, some of the generals, to say, we don't trust this guy in battle. We think he might actually turn against us. So they actually send David and his men back home, and they want to get rid of them. And I think that was God working to bring that to pass. Basically, what God does is God gave David a door of hope to extricate himself from this compromising situation he'd gotten himself into. And so... They send David and his men back to their city, to Ziklag. Now, it's a 60-mile it's a journey. It's about three days. And you think about David and the hearts of his men must have been so excited and filled with anticipation to go and see their wives and their children. Now, they must have slept little. They must have traveled as fast as they possibly could. Uh, they were awaiting a happy reunion. Think about this. They were, they were waiting to feel the, the embrace and the caresses of their wives. They hear the voices of their children. But as they get closer to Ziklag, they see a horrible sight. They see smoke on the horizon. Look at verse, chapter 30, verse 1. It happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag. And it had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women, all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters uh, had been taken captive. Now, I think when they see in the distance this smoke, they must set out on a dead sprint. Again, think about this. They're, uh, they're trying to, to get back there to see their families, but what greets them is the stuff of nightmares. After a three-day exhausting march to get there, all they find is just a heap of smoldering ruins. Expecting to hear shouts and celebration from their families, all they encounter is just eerie silence and desolation. And verse 4, this is a, a powerful verse. I don't know if we can even put ourselves in, in their sandals or not here this morning. 
David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength left in them to weep. I mean, they sobbed and they sorrowed until they didn't have any strength uh, left in them. It's a sad, wretched scene here. And then it even gets worse in, chap- in verse 6. Because David was greatly, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. They're blaming David for what happened. They're bitter because what's happened to their children. They don't know if they're dead or alive at this point. All they know is that they've been taken away. So David's life is in ruins, literally. You know, sometimes when people are in, in great anguish, their anguish turns to anger, and that's what we see here. Their bereavement turns to bitterness against David, and they want to kill him. This is the, the blackest, lowest point in the life of David up until now. There's that movie out now about uh, some events in Winston Churchill's life called The Darkest Hour, and you could write that over this passage here this morning. This is the darkest hour for David. Erwin Lutzer says this, David was a king without a throne, a husband without a wife, a leader without followers, and a believer without a witness. And David is too distraught at this point to even function. Everything seems lost. He's at the end of his rope. And I say that because maybe that describes you here this morning. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed and discouraged because of some family problem, some health problem, some financial problem, whatever it may be. What I want us to do this morning is to look and see what David did when he didn't have anywhere else to turn, when he had, there was nothing left for him to do. I want to look at what David did, and I want to see what you and I uh, can do in these times and how we'll find God to be faithful. So that brings us to what I call here the strengthening. I love the end of this verse. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David Roper calls this one of the greatest lines in the Bible. One of the greatest lines in the Bible. Old J. Vernon McGee, I love J. Vernon. Some of you, I'm sure, still listen to him, still on the radio these days. I looked at his commentary this week on Samuel. He said this about this statement. This is one of the most wonderful statements ever made. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David didn't have anywhere else to turn for strength. Now, if you have the King James this morning, or if you grew up reading the King James, it says David encouraged himself in the Lord, but really it's better to translate it, he strengthened himself. And David, again, had nowhere else to turn. He couldn't turn to the Philistines for for strength, or his friend Jonathan, or his wives, because they're gone. And not even his own men, because they want to kill him. David has to strengthen himself uh, in the Lord his God. Now, I don't want to get off on this, but this is something you can go back and read on your own as well. There's a great contrast, the author of Samuel, that Samuel puts forth here. If you go back and read chapter 28, Saul is the king at this time, and he's facing a great crisis in his life. And where does Saul turn? He goes to a medium. He goes to the witch of Endor. And David faces a crisis in his life, and where does David turn? He turns to the Lord. Both David and Saul are portrayed as men in deep crises of leadership, and both of them are deeply at risk. But the difference of response here is is staggering. Saul seeks refuge in a medium, but David strengthens himself in the Lord. And the author is placing this here, again, to show the contrast of what David was like. 
There's a book I read a while back, really good book. It's uh, called Mastering Life by Robert J. Morgan. I'll share this story with you in, in, from his book. He says this, In the early 1920s, Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane was convinced that too many surgical patients were being put to sleep during their operations when localized anesthesia could be used instead. He thought the hazards of general anesthesia were greater than most physicians assumed, and he suggested that many patients would do fine during surgery with local anesthesia. His opinions encountered skepticism, so he set out to prove his point. Dr. Kane had performed nearly 4,000 appendectomies in his career. In those days, removing one's appendix was considered major surgery requiring a large incision. Kane decided to perform his next appendectomy using only local anesthesia, and he selected his patient carefully. On February 15, 1921, the man was rolled into the operating room. Dr. Kane didn't put the patient to sleep. Instead, he applied a local anesthesia, went to work slicing through skin and tissues. He found the appendix, removed it, and sewed the man up. The surgery went well, and the patient assured the medical team he'd experienced only minor discomfort. The name of the patient was Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane. The doctor and the patient were the same. Dr. Kane had propped himself up on the operating table and using mirrors to see the affected area had removed his own appendix. Other doctors were present to observe the procedure and intervene should anything go wrong, but nothing did. Dr. Kane enjoyed a full recovery and the flurry of notoriety that came with it. And then Robert J. Morgan says this, as you and I go through life, we sometimes become infected and inflamed by depression, anger, anxiety, discouragement, bitterness, and all the rest. It's helpful when friends encourage us, and sometimes we need professional counseling, but one of the greatest discoveries we can ever make is learning to operate on ourselves. And then he says this, the art of strengthening oneself in the Lord is the greatest of all spiritual disciplines. Sometimes under the guidance of the great physician, we have to open ourselves up, take a look, improve ourselves, talk to ourselves, and encourage ourselves. That's a powerful statement. The art of encouraging yourself in the Lord is the greatest of all the spiritual disciplines. You say, well, if that's true, what does it mean to encourage yourself or strengthen yourself in the Lord? Well, I think the context here provides five clues to this. They're very simple. These aren't earth-shattering things. You've, you've heard all of them before, but I want to bring them all together in one place for us to see this this morning so that when the troubles of life come, you're going to know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. The first thing that David did is he looked to the right source for strength. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David begins with a personal God. And think about it, at this point in his life, God's the only thing David has. Everything else is gone. David has lost everything but God. I like what Alexander McLaren, the great British pastor years ago said, he said, David no longer could say, my house, my city, or my possessions, but he could still say, my God. And sometimes that's where we feel like we are in life. We, it's like we, we've hit rock bottom. We can always say, my God. That's where all true spiritual strengthening begins. It begins with God and who he is and what we know to be true about him. I've referred to the book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, by A.W. Tozier many times. But he begins with this great statement. He says, what comes into the, our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about you and me is what comes into our minds when we think about God. 
He says this, the history of mankind will show no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate no religion is ever greater than its idea of God. And then he, he says some other things, but he, but he says this at the end. Were we able to extract from any person a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We could predict with certainly, certainty the spiritual future of that person. So it's good to just pause for a moment and say, when I think about God, what comes into my mind? What view do I have of who God is? And we know from the Psalms, the many Psalms that David wrote, that David knew God personally and that he believed in a sovereign God and a majestic God and a glorious God and a loving God. I mean, read the Psalms. They're filled with those statements of David. And when the chips are down, it's what you know about God and what I know about God that will pull us through. It's the only thing. And this passage here assumes an already existing relationship. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. He knew God. He knew him personally. And I want to hasten to say this this morning. If you don't know God personally, you can come to know him this morning. God has provided a mediator, the Lord Jesus to be the go-between between us and God. And when we trust in Christ and come to know the Son of God, that's when we come to know uh, the true God. This is life eternal, Jesus said, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. He's the go-between between God the Father and us. No one can come to the Father but through Jesus. So trust in him this morning if you've never done that. Look, we go on and on with this, but it, but it just starts with, with your knowledge of who God is. He strengthened himself in the Lord as God and what he knew to be true about God. The second thing that strengthened David, I think, was the past. Again, David wrote uh, about half of the 150 Psalms. And if you read the Psalms, you'll often find that the psalmist finds comfort in the past deliverances of God, what God's done for you in the past, has proven himself to be faithful. David could look back on his life and see that God had never failed him. Uh, David strengthened God, uh, God strengthened David against the lions and the bears. You remember when he was a shepherd boy out there by himself keeping the sheep. God had vanquished Goliath uh, for David and through David. God had delivered David from Saul again and again as seeking David's life. And most recently, God had rescued David from uh, the Philistines, from having to go into battle against his own people. So David, I'm sure, thought about God's past deliverances, and we need to as well. There's the uh, old quote I like. It says, don't forget to remember. That's pretty good, isn't it? Don't forget to remember. David could look back, and he could draw inner strength from the past, and so can you and I. Sometimes, though, we get kind of, it seems we get kind of far away from God. It seems like those past deliverances are, are kind of distant. I was thinking this week about uh, my old friend, Steve Mortensen. He's my oldest friend I have, not old in age, my longest friend. He's my age, but uh, we met when we were two years old. And he's always loved dogs. In fact, he has a company now where he, uh, a business where he goes out and has dogs. They sniff for bombs and drugs and guns and all those things. So he's always loved dogs. And when we were younger growing up, he always had all different kind of dogs. He had these different hounds. And um, we would go out at night and we would uh, go and try to tree raccoons and stuff. These, they'd get on the trail, these raccoons, and tree them and all. And I knew nothing about any of that stuff, but I just went with him and had a good time. He knew everything about it, so I didn't have to do anything. 
But I found something out. Whenever those hounds, whenever you lose the scent of whatever it is you're after, you got to go back and try to find the trail at the nearest place you can and pick it back up again uh, to try to get back on the trail. And I think there's a great spiritual truth for us in that. Whenever you lose uh, the spiritual scent in your life, if you will, when the trail seems to kind of go cold in your life, what you want to do is go back and find the last place that you experience God's blessing and God's working and God's deliverance in your life. And you want to pick up the scent there, if you will, and begin uh, to go forward. And I think that's what David must have done at this time. His, his mind began to go back again to, to pick up the scent, to pick up the trail of God's deliverances uh, in his life. And he drew strength from that. He, he recounted God's faithfulness to him in the past. But we don't just look to the past. But we need to look to the future. Look back, uh, turn back about three pages to 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. We need to look to the promises of God as well whenever we're facing struggle and difficulty in life. This is uh, earlier in David's life, obviously. And notice in chapter 23 and verse 15, it says, Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, remember this was David's close friend, arose and went to David at Horesh, and what does it say? He strengthened him in God. It's the same words that are used over in our passage, that David strengthened himself. Jonathan, his friend, strengthened David in God. Now, there's one good lesson I get from this as well. Oftentimes, other people can be used by God to strengthen us. And in my life, I pray this is true for you, I have a lot of people in my life to strengthen me and encourage me, and I'm so thankful for them. My parents have been a great encouragement to me in my life. My wife, my sons, my daughter-in-law, people in this church, so many people to strengthen and encourage me in my life, and I appreciate that so much. And, and David had a friend, Jonathan, who did that for him. But notice how Jonathan strengthened him. He said in verse 17, Do not be afraid. Because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. He tells David, he says, David, remember, God has promised you you're going to be the king. And so he points David to the promise of God in the future to strengthen David in this time of difficulty. So to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we have to rehearse what the scriptures say about God and about his promises to us and apply it to our situation. I love uh, what Samuel Clark said. He was an 18th century pastor. He said, constantly plead the promises with God in prayer. God will always acknowledge his own handwriting. I like that. You can take the Bible and hold it up to God and say, God, this is your handwriting. This is what you've said. This is a promise that you've made to me. God will always acknowledge his own handwriting if we'll go to him with the promises. There's a lot of promises in the Bible. I love the one that says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. God is faithful. He will bring it to pass. The last, some of the last words in the Bible are a promise. Jesus said, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to what he's done. On and on we could go. But we need to know those promises to be able to claim them. 
So look, in in the dark night of the soul and the struggles of life, we recall the, the past faithfulnesses of God. We go back and pick up the trail again, if you will. And then we rehearse the promises of God to us. Now, one other thing that's kind of tied in with these two ideas here, from the Psalms, which obviously David wrote many of them, we get another clue, I think, as to how David strengthened himself in the Lord. One of the things you'll find David doing often in the Psalms is talking to himself. You often say, well, that's kind of weird if you talk to yourself. Well, I've always heard it's not bad to talk to yourself, just don't answer yourself, right? But, but he talked to himself. He would preach to himself. He would speak to himself. And we see that like in Psalm 62. David says, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from you. He's preaching to himself saying, Soul, you need to wait for God. Uh, Psalm 42 is one of the great psalms where David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted uh, within me? So often the, the psalmist takes solace and gains strength in talking to himself. And strengthening himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great preacher in England from a, a generation ago. He has a book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. And he refers here to Psalm 42 and this whole idea. And he says this, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression in a sense is this, it's that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Now think about that. You know, We allow our soul to talk to us instead of us talking to our soul. He says, this is the essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand and address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself, say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way, then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is what God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. That's what we just said, who God is, what God's done in the past, what God has pledged himself to do in the future. Look, in in difficult times of life, one of the best things you and I can do is give ourselves a good talking to. Sometimes we're both the preacher and the congregation, just as Dr. Cain was both the doctor and the patient. So so preach to yourself and search for texts in the Bible to use. I think it was Martin Luther that said, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself every day of what God has done for you. During that time of trouble that I endured, I described earlier, I preached hundreds of sermons to myself, reminding myself of who God is and his past faithfulness and his promises. Most of them weren't very good, but over time they they did a work of God uh, down deep in my heart and soul. So think about God's promises, think about the past, God's person. But another clue here to strengthen ourselves in the Lord is prayer. We need to pray. Use your access to God's presence. Notice in verse uh, 6 here, back in our passage, in chapter 30, verse 6, the very first thing that says after it says, David strengthened himself and the Lord is God, is it says in verse 8, David inquired of the Lord. David started to pray. That's interesting. If you go back in the context, he hadn't prayed for a while. And he called for the priest to bring the ephod. Now, that was like a breastplate or a garment the priest wore. What's interesting, we don't really know what this was, but there were these 
like stones or, or whatever that were in the breastplate. They were called the, the Urim and the Thummim. They were called the lights and perfections. And the priest could inquire of God, and you would get an answer from these lights and perfections of what God wanted you to do. And so David inquires of the Lord, and he says, Lord, shall I pursue this band, and shall I overtake them? Now, if I was God at this point, and David hadn't talked to me for a long time and been disobedient and gone down and hung around with the Philistines, I said, well, since you obeyed, disobeyed me and went down there with the Philistines, I can't trust you. Or maybe you'd say something like, God, God would say, I'm going to put you on probation, David, for six months. Come back and talk to me then. Now, I love this. David's been out of fellowship with God. He's lost connection with God. He's compromised with these Philistines. And God cries out to God and says, God, shall I pursue them and will I overtake them? And in a moment of time, God says, pursue. Go after them. You'll overtake them and you're going to get everything that they took back again. Now, isn't that the grace of God? I mean, you and I can go to God if we've been far away from Him, if we've been distant from Him, if we've been disobedient. We can go to God, and in a moment of time, God will answer us. This uh, heaven answers with an immediate word of victory and power for David. And David was strengthened, and you and I will be as well. For David, that prayer became a, a gateway to victory for him. So we strengthen ourselves in the Lord by looking to the person of God, what we know about Him the past deliverances of God, the, the, the promises of God. We go to God in prayer. And a final piece of what David did to strengthen himself in the Lord is related to what I call the providence of God. It's one of my favorite truths about God is his providence. The providence of God means that God orders and God orchestrates and God overrules in all the affairs of his creation. God is constantly ordering, orchestrating, and overruling in the affairs of man. God's in control, but we don't see it. We see the results, but it's been called God's providence, the hand of, of God inside the glove of human events. You can see a glove moving, but inside of it, there's a hand that's moving it. And as we see the circumstances of life, we can often see how God is working and ordering those circumstances. And I think David, as he's sitting there at Ziklag in this depressed, downcast, desperate situation, I, I think David can't help but sit there and think, God and his providence got me kicked out of being there with the Philistines and got me back here in time so I can go get my family. Because think about this. If David had stayed there and his men maybe another week or, or two weeks, those Amalekites would have been long gone, and David and his men would have never been able to get their families back. If not for God's providential intervention. His families and everything David had would have been lost forever. And I think David, as he sat there, saw God's hand in this, that God got him back there at the right time. And I think that gave him strength. And that's one of the things I try to do in my life is constantly, constantly be looking for the providences of God, how God is at work behind the scenes, orchestrating and ordering events. And when we do that, it will strengthen us as we see God at work in the affairs of our lives. And I love this. God was not only in providentially involved in David's life and getting him extracted from being among the Philistines, but David and his men set out. Now, they don't know where to go. These guys have a three-day head start. They have no idea where to find him, out in the desert. And not long after they get out in the desert, David and his men just happen upon an Egyptian who's been left there half dead. He got sick, and these Amalekites had left this guy there to die in the wilderness. 
And David begins to talk to him, and he finds out that he's among the Amalekites. He said, one of the cities we burned was Ziklag. And David said, do you know where the camp of the Amalekites is? And he said, yeah, I know. David said, can you take me there? He said, yeah, just promise not to kill me and don't hand me over to my masters. And so this man is able to lead them right there. Think about the the chances of that. Wandering around in the wilderness, you're going to find this guy who's sick there who knows exactly where that camp is. David had to take that as the providence of God. So God's providence was behind David. It was going out in front of David. We won't have time to read the rest of this story, but I always love stories with a good ending. And this is a harrowing story, but it ends well. Down in verse 18, David recovered all the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. By the way, if you read earlier, it says David slaughtered these men from twilight until evening the next day. It was a slaughter. You can imagine there's a lot of vengeance there. Verse 19, nothing of theirs was missing, whether great or small, sons or daughters, spoil or anything. Nothing they had taken for themselves, but David brought it all back. God gave a a full and a, a complete victory in this. Look, the hero of this story is God. God is the one who strengthened his servant in the time of his need. God is the one who gave a victory. And he's the same God who will meet you and who will meet me in the deepest, darkest hours of our lives and who will strengthen us as well. We go to him, we say, God, here's what I know to be true about you. We look back at the past deliverances of God. We look to the the promises that God has given to us. We, We call out to the Lord in prayer. And we see the hand of God's providence in our lives that encourages us and strengthens us, that God loves us and cares about us, and he's at work in our lives. Last summer, I read a book, a biography about David Livingston, the great explorer to Africa, the great missionary there. It's a fascinating tale. He was born in Scotland, traversed Africa really under the worst conditions. And one time he was mauled by a lion. He was never fully able to use his left arm after that. Constant bouts of malaria and dysentery. His wife died. He had a son named Robert who was rebellious, who went, uh, to the, came to America and uh, joined the Union Army, was killed in the Civil War. His life was filled with a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble. But he persevered on doing the God, work God had called him to do in Africa. Near the end of the book... Uh, You read there that Livingston, in his final days, he and his expedition are slogging through just extreme weather. It's raining just day after day. They're walking in neck-deep water that's filled with parasites and leeches. And again, this is about six weeks before he's going to die. He starts having chronic intestinal bleeding that's getting worse by the day, slowly draining the life out of him. A month before he dies in Africa, though, in an entry in his diary, David Livingston wrote these words. So many obstacles have arisen. Nothing earthly will make me give up my work in despair. I encourage myself and the Lord my God and go forward. He's quoting exactly 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. The words that David spoke there at Ziklag. I encourage, I strengthen myself in the Lord. And I go forward. It's one of the final entries in David Livingston's diary. I thought about that. That's the spirit you and I need to have every day. I mean, as as I read earlier, Robert J. Morgan said, the art of strengthening yourself in the Lord is the most important spiritual discipline in the Christian life. No matter how dark the cloud, no matter what... Uh, Things seem like on the outside, even when all can seem lost. Like David Livingston said, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord 
and we go forward. And praise God when we do that, just like with David. God will never fail us. He'll meet us every time. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for who you are. As we read the Bible, we know that you're sovereign, you're majestic, you're glorious. You're constantly orchestrating and overruling and ordering all the events of life. Oh God, you're the hero of the story. You're always the hero of the story, the hero of our lives. We thank you for who you are. And Father, I thank you this morning that you're my God, that I can know you, that we all can. Father, I pray for any here this morning who may be in the dark night of the soul, struggling with the dark cloud that seems to be hanging over their life, or maybe just dealing with the routine troubles of life. Father, I pray for all of us that we will find our strength in you, the Lord our God. We'll find our all in you. We'll take this passage to heart, and like David, we'll find you as our strengthener and the one who will never fail us. Oh, God, help us as your people. Help us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and go forward. We ask these things in Jesus' name.